My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here. Thankful that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John. Uh, if you do not have a Bible of your own, as Mike said, there should be some provided Bibles somewhere around you. Feel free to grab one of those, and you can turn to page 833. 833. We'll be in John uh, chapter 1 uh, this morning while you're turning there. Uh, I heard of a group of Navy SEALs that were performing a covert operation. They were freeing hostages from a building in, in some dark, unknown part of the world, or unknown maybe to us or to me. But the two team uh, flew in by helicopter. Uh, they made their way to the compound and stormed into the room where hostages had been imprisoned for several months. The room, as you can imagine, was filthy, it was dark, and the hostages were curled up in a corner, obviously terrified. When the seals entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages. They, stored, they stood at the door and called to the prisoners, telling them that they were Americans to come out, for they were free. And so the seals asked the hostages to follow them, but the hostages stayed in their place. They sat there on the floor and they hid their eyes in fear. They were not of a healthy mind and they didn't believe that the rescuers who what they thought who were what they thought they were saying they were. So the seals stood there not knowing what to do. Do we take them by force? What do we do? Couldn't possibly carry out everyone one by one. So one of the seals the, 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 got an idea. And so what he did was he put down his weapon, he, he took off his helmet, and curled up tightly next to the hostages, getting so close his body was touching some of theirs. He softened the look on his face, and he put his arms around those that he could. And he stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him and started to raise their gaze, finally meeting his eyes. And the Navy SEAL whispered that they were Americans and they were there to rescue them. And he asked a simple question, will you follow me? Will you follow us out of here? And the hero, the guy stood, one of the SEALs stood to his feet. And then one by one, the hostages did the same until they were all willing to go. And so the story ends with all the hostages safe on an American aircraft carrier being take, taken freely or to their eventual freedoms. Had none of the hostages willingly gone, I'm sure that the SEALs would have figured out something to do to get the hostages out of there, but they didn't. It took one seal to come and get on their level to see and to, to associate with those hostages and show them the way towards freedom. The beginning of John tells us that Jesus did the same for us. That Jesus took on flesh he came into this world and He dwelt among us. 
into this dirty, filthy world. And Philippians says that Jesus took on the form of a servant by being, by being born in the likeness of men. That he humbled himself, even to the point of death, to be an example. And then in the midst of doing that, in the midst of coming and dwelling, and in the midst of coming into this world and putting on flesh, becoming fully God and fully man, And he would call us in those moments to follow him, to, to, to follow his example, to lay aside our own selfish ambition and to follow him. So as we read here in John 1, 35 through 51 this morning, we will see that Jesus tells us to come and see and to follow him. To follow him. So let's read this passage together. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Oh, you will see much greater things happen than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will, see the, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings light and life. To us as we see Jesus and his example for us. May it illuminate our hearts to desire to follow him, to bring others in to come and see the goodness and grace of Jesus. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my own, but be guided by your spirit to expose the text uh, and what it is that you would have to say to us. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're a note taker here, I have one main idea kind of coming out of this and three points. Three points. Main idea is this. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. And He calls us to follow Him. Jesus is the Son of Man and calls us to follow Him. The question is, how does Jesus call call us to follow Him? How does He invite us to come and see? Three ways I believe the text allows us to to come and see how to follow Jesus as Christians. First one is this, through faithful preaching. We follow Jesus, we come and see and follow Him through faithful preaching. The second one is through faithful discipleship. And the third is through faithful evangelism. Faithful preaching through faithful discipleship through faithful evangelism. So John the Baptist, who we've seen the last couple of weeks here in the introduction to John, is the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. We see that John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That he was preaching that the people were in expectation. Luke 3 tells us that the people were in expectation of what what John the Baptist was going to say. He was a witness that would bear witness to the one who would come. He says, let us, uh, but even Jesus, when he comes, begins to preach the word. Immediately when Jesus comes, he says, let us go to the towns that I may preach. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he says, let me go and preach in the towns. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in all of the regions around the Decapolis, Preaching the word of the Lord because he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, to everywhere, for I was sent for this purpose. So we know that John the Baptist, the one who has come to prepare the way for Jesus, was preaching the word. And those who were hearing it were hearing it with expectation that a Messiah would come. And then when the Messiah comes, his role was to preach the word that people would hear and respond and receive and believe. So preaching has some sort of sanctification, some sort of bringing to, to come and see who Jesus is. Preaching exposes our our hearts for what they are, some that are separated from from God and and brings us into a right relationship with Him. Others, it is sanctifying us and helping us to understand what is my role in this life as a Christian. So if Jesus came to preach the good news and was sent here for this purpose, obviously for us, it is good for us to, to gather as Christians to hear the preached word. And even when we get to all the way to, to the end of Luke, we still see that, that Jesus is in the temple 
And he is preaching the gospel, it says. He is preaching the good news of himself. And we see this carried on by his disciples, by his apostles. They did not cease, Acts 5 tells us that they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is the Messiah, that He is Jesus. So how does that affect our story? Look at verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, two of his followers. And he looked at Jesus and he, as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. They knew that this was the Messiah. That this was the one that was to come to take away the sins of all those who would believe. And look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Why would they immediately just start following Jesus? It was through the preached word. It was John the Baptist preparing the way, preparing their hearts, preaching to them in expectation that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes by and He says, Behold the Lamb of God, they drop what they're doing and follow Him. And they receive, and their hearts were ready for Jesus. They were ready for the Messiah through the preached word of John the Baptist. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Praetorian Project. It's a pretty cool, uh, a pretty cool endeavor or uh, project to plant churches near military installations. And so I could tell you all about how we have churches planted. Uh, and we've planted churches all around military installations throughout the world. Not just the Marine Corps, but also to the Army, and hopefully, by, by God's grace, all the branches of military. But there's a, a newsletter that comes out, and if you're not in this newsletter, I encourage you that you would, uh, that you would uh, reach out to us or, and, or, and go and find that, or reach out to us and let us know that you'd like to be subscribed to that newsletter. You can see me or any of the elders to, to figure out what that looks like. But there's a really great story that was in there from, I think it just came out a couple days ago, of a family who were, who were going to church, who ended up going to church in Okinawa. They had uh, to one of our sister churches, Pillar Church of Okinawa. And in that church, what happened is they had a couple kids and they were like, man, we just really, I want our kids to grow up in church, but I think we're Christians, but I'm not sure. So let, let's just go to a church in in, in our area. So they found Pillar and they started going to Pillar Church of Okinawa. And in that church, they heard the preached word over and over. They heard the call to respond to the gospel. They knew that they should receive and believe that it was true. And you know what happened? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't respond in that time. But God was doing something in their hearts to prepare them for their next duty station, which was, guess where? Oceanside, California. And when they got to Oceanside, California, guess what was there? A, a pillar church in Oceanside that they were able to go to. And so they went there, and guess what they heard while they were there? They heard the preaching of God's Word over and over again, that they would, that they would receive and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And you know what happened? They still didn't respond. They knew it should have been true. They knew they should have responded. They knew what was truth and didn't respond. And then another church there in San Diego, pillar church, a brand new church, Pillar Church of San Diego, Daniel Carter, begins to disciple the husband and the family, begins to just express to him the, the need for Christ, the need for Messiah, the need for Jesus in his life. And he preaches the word, and, they, and he hear, they hear the word being preached, and they responded to the gospel. The preached word in three different churches, through the faithful preaching of the word. That we can now say that rejoice with them, that as the angels have rejoiced in their salvation. And it's a fantastic story of faithful preaching that happened over and over and over again that maybe you won't respond today, maybe you won't respond next week, maybe not in a year or two years or maybe ten years, but that through the faithful preaching of the Word that you would respond to the Gospel. That we would be faithful to preach the good news. So my question to you is, how about you? Do you believe that the faithful preaching of God's Word exposes your heart for, for, for what it is, for the sin that easily ensnares us? Are you committed to come on Sundays that, so you can hear the preached Word? Are you committed to, to join with other believers? Are you committed to, to bring others so that they might come and see? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, that we would not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Even then, it was the habit of some of the new believers that church was not vital, that the preaching of God's Word was not very important, that other things in this world would, would easily pull us away from the gathering together to hear the preached Word. But the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, encourage one another. Encourage one another to not neglect to meet together. And all the more as you see the day draw near. It is the preaching of God's Word that transforms us, that changes us, that, that helps us to to grow in Christ-likeness. That is one way. Even, even what, for those of you that are members here, when you, when you join this church, you, you read this membership covenant together where we say, we commit therefore by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and peace, to promote its maturity and fruitfulness, to sustain its corporate worship, ordinances, and discipline, to regularly assemble together to worship God and mutually build one another up in Christ. That is why we're gathering together. We can't neglect this responsibility to gather together as a church, as a bodies, members of one body brought together, that we would do this, that we would worship together. I tell you, I, it, it burdens me when I can't meet together with you guys. But I wonder if it burdens you. I wonder if you're easily swayed to do other things on Sundays. 
that it's easy for you to neglect the gathering. We don't see that here. We see faithful preaching of God's Word and people responding to that preaching. And we want to respond in kind. So we respond to the preached Word. We invite people to come and see. We invite ourselves to come and see Christ and Him crucified. So we see this through faithful preaching. We, we, we see how to come and see Christ and the gospel through faithful preaching. The second point is this. We see it through faithful discipleship. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It's an unusual response to the question, right? What are you seeking? They don't say, hey, we're seeking a Messiah, or we're, we're, seeking, uh, we're seeking you, or uh, we're seeking uh, something that you might provide for us. Maybe you can give us abundant life. Maybe you can give us a health, wealth, and prosperity. No, they don't say that. They're like, where are you staying? Now, you can interpret this a couple of different ways. One is that they were so confounded by Jesus' question that they just said, Hey, I don't know where you're staying. Or you can, you can interpret it, which is uh, how I would interpret it, which is like, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. I believe you're the Messiah. Where are you staying? Because I'm coming with you. Where are you staying? And he, said, and he said to them, come and you will see. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Do you see what Jesus does here? He just invites them into a relationship with him. He invites them to come and stay with him. He invites them to come and see. It says here that these guys were disciples. That, that word means learner. That word means learner, that our aim is to, to grow and to learn to be more like Christ. That is what a disciple is. We are to grow and to learn to be more like Christ. And according to Luke 6, everyone should be training to be like their teacher. We even see this in Paul as he was writing to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Timothy saw that because he was with Paul in the ministry. They were in the fight together. They were living life together. And through it, Timothy was Saul, you saw my life. You saw where I was going. You followed me as I followed Christ. And I wonder if, if some of us are able to do that in our own lives, to, to bring about those in discipleship, to disciple others, to, to invite others into our lives, to allow people to come and live with us and stay with us and, and see our lives. And so there are a few ways in which we do this as a church. As Mike was laying out for us, how do we know Jesus? 
in these discipleship and areas of discipleship. We have community groups and young adult groups and youth groups, and we have men's breakfast as kind of these broad platforms. Even uh, the question was asked last week, hey, if you're, if, uh, what does it look like for you to be part of a community group? If somebody's not a community group, what should they do in a community group? So for us, like community is... Uh, in Sunday service and community groups are we going to get to know each other, to love on one another, to, to see each other's lives lived out for Christ. We also have these other platforms. We have the men's and women's discipleship groups. We have life on life, which is what Jesus is doing here, where you invite somebody to just come into your life, hang out with me, see me. I know that the pastor of Pillar Numbers, he did this in my life. He invited us into his family, into to come and see, to, to just come and hang out with us as much as you possibly can, and that you will, be, uh, you will catch what it is that I'm trying to teach and trying to do here, and it was revolutionary for me. But there's also just one-on-one. We can just sit down across from another brother or sister and just look them in the eyes and let them, let them speak life into us, that we would be transformed. And this is what happens with the disciples. John the Baptist was it for them. He was, he was the one that was teaching them. They saw his life. They heard his preaching. They saw his example. And then he prepared the way for when the Messiah came. Guess what? They just jumped right in. They dropped everything to believe and to follow. And they followed Jesus. And so we must be learners. We must be constantly growing in our affection and our love and our knowledge and wisdom of who Christ is to be always responding to what the Bible is telling us. And the only way we can do that is if we're in a good and right discipleship relationship. So we must. We see this here in Jesus where He just He 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 gathers this these twelve. Not here in this text, but we see it in others where he gathers the 12 and they follow him and they live life with him. And he invests in them. We must do that one to another. So some of you are ready for that kind of disciple. You want to be that kind of disciple that you can disciple others in your lives. But some of you just need to be in a discipleship relationship, learning from those who have already been ahead of you. Learning what it means to, to put off sin. And to put on Christ and His righteousness. You need to learn how to do that. So come and see Jesus and the gospel through faithful preaching. Come and see it through faithful discipleship. And we also want to come and see through faithful evangelism. Look at verse, starting verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's Peter brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. So Andrew, laying it all down, following after Christ, seeing that he was the Messiah, immediately goes and calls his own brother and tells him, I have, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. We have found the anointed one who, who is promised from before the foundation of the world. But in the text, even from the beginning of Genesis, 
that there would be this anointed one who would come and take away the sin. And look at what he does in verse 42. He brings him. He brings him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Simon Peter is changed. He is given a new name. He's transformed by a right relationship with Jesus. And it was because of his own brother who comes, helps him to come and see that Jesus is the Messiah. Then we see in verse 43, Jesus decides to go to Galilee and he finds Philip and he calls Philip to follow him. And we can infer from the rest of what happens here that Philip responds by believing. But notice what happens in verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael. He says to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathanael seems to be a pretty smart guy. He says, "What? hold on a minute. You're telling me that we have found him who the law and prophets wrote, Jesus, and he's from Nazareth? Can anything good, you kind of get some snarkiness here, right? Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? It's funny, I was sitting with a, another brother uh, this week at a conference, and, uh, and he looked at me and said, hey man, like, tell me about Kinston. I'm from Kinston. I don't know if you've ever ridden through Kinston, but there's not much in Kinston. Matter of fact, it's actually very much on the decline. But it's about an hour from here. It's a city that is not on the rise. Uh, it is a city very much in decline because it's a mainly textile industry, which is, I don't know if you noticed or not, it's not a very big industry these days, especially in the U.S. He said, what, tell me something good that comes out of Kinston. And he wasn't being snarky, and he wasn't being, but he just really wanted to know. And I, it took me back to this text. Is there, is there anything really that good that comes out of Nazareth? And what is, what is, how does Philip respond? Just come and see. He invites him in to come and see. He founds him and he brings him to Jesus. And as Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus knew him. Jesus knew him. Of course, Nathaniel was like, how do, you, how do you know me? That could be the first question I'd ask. How do you even know me? Who are you? He said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Now, the way that, they, the way that I understand this is that when they said they were under the fig tree, that it really, they could have been under a fig tree, 
But it really was kind of, uh, basically they used that terminology as a resting place. So he actually could have been in his house. He could have been in a park. I don't know, but he could have, or he could have been in a fig tree. But basically, wherever he was resting is where he was. He says, I saw you. I saw you resting. I saw you sitting there. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. It's obvious to me that you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said this to you, I saw you under fig tree. Do you believe? Man, you're going to see me do such greater things. There are so, there is so much more that I have for you. It goes beyond me identifying you under a tree. So we see that Andrew goes to his own brother, Simon Peter. And we see that Philip goes to his own brother, Nathaniel. And we see this over and over and over again in the Gospels. That how beautiful are those who bring, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That we must go and tell. That when Jesus draws us to himself, there is a grace that is. We cannot resist. But He works through our evangelistic efforts, through our going and telling. So we must go and tell. We must be faithful in this. We must bring others to come and see how we have been given a new identity. How we have been changed by the gospel. We must go and tell of how we have been transformed. How we have been affected by God's gracious gift of salvation found only in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, as I think about this, I want to ask the question what about you? Have you made it a priority to follow Jesus? To come and see and to follow Christ? The one major theme that is, that, that, that is running throughout this story is that Jesus is God. I mean, look at all the ways that they, are, they describe Him in this text. Verse 36, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 38, he is called rabbi, which means teacher. We see that he is called the son of God, the the king of Israel, and at the end he's called the son of man. He's given all these titles. That you would believe, that you would have life through him, that he is the lamb of God who was slain. For your sin and mine. The other one, the underlying theme here, is that of obedience. Is that of obedience. Look at the responses of 
Andrew, Simon Peter, and Philip and Nathaniel, they just followed Jesus. That they would that they would put all their selfish ambition aside, all the things that they desired to do and lay it aside to follow after him. And one of the things that I, I think about here in this as we close <laughs> is how would you have responded when Jesus said, if Jesus said to you, I saw you in your resting place. I saw you in your house. I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. I just wonder what I, how I would have responded. You know how I probably would have responded? Uh-oh. You know what I mean? Like, you did? What did you see? Because there are many things that I do in my household, in my resting places, that probably don't honor God in the way they should. You know what I mean? I just wonder, I wonder if it have been like, I wonder if I'd have been, a, would have been a, a found, I wonder if he'd have found me abiding in Christ the way that he found Philip. But I wonder if he'd have found me trying to live under the, under the darkness and covertness of sin. I've told this story before, but it's been a while, so probably have a new church since I've told the story last time. But I, I, when I, I was working for Coca-Cola some years back, and I was training to be a truck driver. And uh, one of my ambitions was to grow in the company. And so one of the things they asked me to do was to, as I was growing in the company, was to get an idea of how all the operations worked. And so they wanted to train me to learn how to drive a truck and be a delivery uh, person. So I uh, I went and I trained, and I, I remember driving with a guy, and he was, he was an amazing dude, like really, really cool guy, knew what he was doing, very smart, probably about the same age as I am and was then. And so um, as, I, as I'm riding with this guy on the first day of training, one of the things that I was wanting and desiring to do was share the gospel with this guy. And so as I'm analyzing who he is and getting an idea of what he's about, I hear some of the things that he's saying, he's telling me, and I go, yeah, there's no doubt he's lost. There's no doubt he's lost. And so I just ask a bunch of questions the first day. And so the second day that we ride together, I begin to, to, to begin to ask more detailed questions about his spiritual life. And come to find out, not only did he identify himself as a Christian, but he was also a deacon in his church. And I just began to, to go, hey man, like, what, is, what does this look like for you? Like, I began to just ask questions about some of the things that he had said to me. Because he didn't know that I was, I was a pastor. He didn't know that that was what I did in my, on Sundays or any of those things I didn't, until I told him the second day. I said, what does that look like for you? And so we had conversations for that whole week. And so later on, when I got into full-time ministry, we still talked. And so I was talking to him. I, I, I called him to see how he was doing. And somehow in the light of that conversation, it came out that that week that we had spent together had transformed his life. And I didn't know it. I had no idea. He went back and he repented to his church that he was not a Christian. 
He went back and, and repented to his church and said, I need to step down as a deacon because I'm not saved, but I want to tell you that I am saved now because of what Christ has done in me since these conversations. All I did was planted seeds of the gospel. I asked the right questions. Because if Jesus had to come to him and said, hey, I saw you under the fig tree, like what were you doing? What sins need to be exposed? What needs to happen? I wonder what I would have done. We must be striving for holiness. We must be living out the fruits of the gospel. We must be living godly lives with integrity and character, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. We must ask the question of this, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Because when Jesus calls us to follow Him, He calls us to lay down our selfish ambitions. That includes our selfish sin. And to put on the clothing of righteousness. And that we are to walk in a new life, that He has given us a new name. And therefore, we must example. We must, as we invite people to come and see, they have to come and see who Christ is, not, not, not who I am. In some ways. So I would imagine my friend who was, who, who was driving that truck, if he'd have been inviting, inviting people to come and see when he was living in the midst of sin, they would have seen the wrong thing. But I think we're hesitant to invite people to come and see for us because of the sin that easily ensnares us. But if we desire to live holy and righteous lives, we can invite people to come and see and to invite people to follow Him. But if we have these hidden sins, if we neglect the gathering of the saints, if we, if we don't, if we're not abiding in Christ, and we're not a very good witness. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your, your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We must present ourselves as to God as one approved. But it's not by your works that you do this. As John told us in the beginning chapters of 1, it is grace upon grace that does this in our lives. Over and over again, Jesus' grace is sufficient for us, but we must walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We must walk in a way that is, that is putting off sin and putting on the righteousness of Christ. Putting off our selfish ambition and putting on the service of others. That is what these laid down lives coming to follow Him, they did. They followed Him. They laid down their lives to follow after Christ. Look at verse 50. 
Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a reference back to Genesis 28. A reference back to Jacob where God is telling him that that his desire is still to reach man on earth. And he does this through a ladder where the angels are ascending and descending on to his earthly dwelling place. And what Jesus is saying here is that the angels of God are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am He that brings the chasm that exists between God and man. I am He who closes that chasm. That Jesus is the Son of Man who took on the weight of our sin for all those who would believe that He would go on a cross and He would die a death that you deserved. And He lived a life that you, would, you could never live, a perfect and holy life, a perfect and holy substitutionary sacrifice. Now you will see that Jesus is the Son of Man. That he is the ancient of days, as Daniel says. That he is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. This is the Son of Man. This is a title that is used some 83 times in the Gospels. It's a title that is given to bring about the idea that Jesus is the one who closes the chasm between God and man. That His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, even though this earth will. You pray for us as, um, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of Christ and who He is. Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow Him in a way that is exemplary. That we would invite others to come and see. That we would come and see. That we would desire to be transformed. That we would give up our own selfish ambition. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to, musicians are going to